0: Welcome to Dead House, I am Dylan. And I am a
1: lemon, I mean Nathan. <laughs> That'll make sense later.
0: Yes, is your brain scrambled from camping for three days? Uh,
1: my brain is reset and my skin is burnt. Uh, because yep. yeah, I went camping over the uh, Australia Day long weekend, as I'm sure a myriad of other people did as well.
0: Yeah, but you said it wasn't actually that busy where you were, right?
1: Uh, well, I, it was busy, but because it was such like a sort of open field place, mm. it didn't Feel squashed or anything? Like oh, yeah. we still had a fair amount of distance between us and all our neighbours,
0: who we weren't oh, packed like sardines.
1: Yes, also helps we had like a group of five or so people. I think hmm. I don't know they came at different times, but at, at one point it was a group of five pe- five, a group of five <laughs> pairs, so that's ten people. Yeah, and so we kind of like parked cars and gazebos and tents in a way that we had our own little neighbourhood, little if tent city. If you can't beat
0: them, join them. <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were camping once, and it was beach camping, possibly in winter, and. We set up, we had the fire. I think we'd gone to bed like after dinner and the people beside us rocked up at like 1am and were fanging oh, yep. the shit <laughs> out of their cars. And
1: Well, I think they rocked up, it, it was before midnight and mm-hmm. then they were, yeah, fanging it like to get there and then set up. Yeah. And then they had a couple of hours of drinking and then they were like uh, got out yeah. the cars and we're doing donuts and shit on the, on the beach.
0: Joke's on them though, because their marquee blew away the next yeah. day. <laughs> so what did you do while you were camping?
1: Uh, drink... Almost finished Christine. I'm like literally on the last chapter. Very good. Uh, Swim, you know, played Mm -hmm. some poker. It's always good.
0: I watched a couple movies this week and both Australian as well. Uh, A couple I've wanted to watch for a little while. One was Relic and it essentially does for dementia what (laughs) Babadook did for grief.
1: Okay then.
0: You'll understand if you watch it. It's uh, very cool. It's about like this mother who or grandmother who goes missing and uh the daughter and granddaughter rock up to the house and she mysteriously turns up there the next morning and doesn't remember what happened and it kind of devolves from there and supernatural things start happening but yeah okay. it, it, i'll leave the potential viewers to decide whether it's real sure. or not i think the only
1: time i've ever even heard of that movie is when you like half-heartedly suggested it for our Australian episode but Yeah, we, yeah. it didn't
0: make the cut No, I hadn't seen it before then So I'm, I'm glad I did now So I recommend that And I watched The Tunnel Which, have you at least heard of that? I've definitely never heard of that Oh, okay I had definitely heard of it But didn't really know anything about it So it wasn't really on my radar till recently But it was the first crowdfunded feature okay. In Australia Which is really cool And they did that by like selling individual frames of the film <laughs> Before it was shot which is really interesting. And it's actually a found footage horror set in Sydney, but it has like piece-to-camera documentary-style interviews in okay. between. So it's like the news crew that were down in these abandoned subway tunnels shooting everything. Like this is how they're now presenting it as like a 60 Minutes-esque kind of catch-up. It was really cool. Right. So I recommend both of those. And uh, we should probably get into the topic that we're discussing today, because it's a big one. It'll take a while.
1: (laughs) It's an undertaking that I was scared of, because usually a topic is just, I don't know, what we sort of pick anywhere between three and five movies in a sort of umbrella that links Mm. them and talk about them. But now we're just talking about one thing.
0: One thing, and it's the first time we've done an episode on a show. Yes. So we should probably preface this with the disclaimer that uh, if you've not seen this, we are doing The Fall of the House of Usher, which was released late 2023. So, spoiler alert, <laughs> neon sign, <coughs> flashing with sirens, spoiler alert, do not proceed unless you have seen this or have no particular interest <laughs> in seeing it for want to listen to us talk about it. Uh, which,
1: you know, you should definitely go watch it.
0: Yes, yes. We highly yeah. recommend this. So, Fall of the House of Usher. Uh, it was a gothic horror Netflix miniseries, mm-hmm. eight episodes. Uh, released all at once on the 12th of October last year. Yep. And it clocked over 30 million views in its first two weeks.
1: I don't have any sort of a gauge of if that's a lot or not
0: enough. I think that's (laughs) many. I mean, yeah. Considering it's an eight-part miniseries as well. Sure. How long were were each episode? You reckon like an hour? Uh,
1: I'd say 40 minutes to an hour. Oh, yeah. That
0: seems to be the standard these days. The finale was just like an hour and a half or something. Oh, yeah. Like a full length. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh I was a little late to the party for this. I didn't finish watching this till maybe like a fortnight ago, but you Which watched is very this. surprising. Yeah, you watched this fairly recent after it dropped, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I was waiting for it and then oh, I can't remember exactly how far. After it came out, I watched it, mm. but I coincidentally got COVID at the same time.
0: Ah, okay. Oh, it
1: might not have been COVID. It might have just been a random sickness, just like ill or something. Mm-hmm. So, I, I took the day off work for being sick and I was like, this is fucking perfect timing. we yeah. to binge the entire goddamn show in one day.
0: It was like me and Twilight Zone, but I <laughs> never actually did that. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. And this was adapted from short stories and poems by Edgar Allan Poe, uh, one of the most prolific Authors and poets of the 19th century and someone I'm a big fan of. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you read any of his stuff? Uh, no. It, I've never been a big poetry guy. I mm. like
1: it. I, I sometimes like the way it sounds, yeah. but I could never understand meaning in poetry.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm
1: very... I don't know. I just don't understand. Same with song lyrics. I've
0: got no idea what they're trying to say. <laughs> you like the meter, but you don't understand the metaphor. <laughs> I, I don't even know what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I was given a book as like a collection of his short stories and poetry from the folks that I very much enjoy, but I was familiar with at least The Raven from one of the early Simpsons, Three Horror episodes. And being a poetry fan, uh, and even just gothic horror in general, very much appealed to me. And after a few friends recommended this, you included, uh, and then I found out it was Mike Flanagan, I was uh, I was down for the ride, and what a ride indeed. See, I was, I was
1: already on board, because I think the first one of like Mike Flanagan. Mm. His shows that I watched was Midnight Mass and I fucking love that. Yeah. And yeah. so then I found out the next thing he was planning was called The Fall of the House so I was like, okay, cool, that's I've never heard of that. Sounds interesting. And then mm. I started hearing more and more like behind the scenes stuff about it. Like, oh yeah, these actors are returning. Alright, cool. I like yeah. those actors. Yeah. I like that. And then uh finally watched it and it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, what is interesting about this is The Fall of the House of Usher was a short story by Poe that they kind of use as an overarching narrative throughout this miniseries, but drawing inspiration and even characters and events from other poems and short stories under that umbrella, Yeah, which is really cool and creative.
1: I've always loved when they do stuff like that. Like, the obvious uh, example is all the Treehouse of Horror stuff. Mm. Like, they take... Uh, you know Pre-existing stuff And twist it And put their own spin on it But when you can Then do that And make like This overarching story mm. Is really fun
0: I think another Interesting example Is Castle Rock The show that's Sort of adapted from Much of Stephen King's work Just set in the place That is a recurring theme In all of his literature Yep And And I can see that being A source of inspiration For Flanagan actually Given that he's such A big King fan mm-hmm.
1: That is so strange though Like to me Oh yeah Adapt all of Edgar Allan Poe's stuff well, Not all of But some mm. of Sounds pretty alright A lot of it's Like maybe a little bit Supernatural But very based in reality mm. Try to adapt All of like Stephen King's stuff Into the same Uni slash multiverse It's like You've yeah. got a, an Interdimensional Killer clown <laughs> And turtle And a killer car And yep. like how's, How is that all In the same world
0: yeah, yeah. He actually does really good dramas as well. When you look at things like Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me, stuff like that. Uh, but I guess getting back to this as well, I've recently finished a compendium of H.P. Lovecraft's work, and that is more so sci-fi, whereas when you get to Poe, uh, it is horror, but it's not too far-fetched. Yeah, anything that it, happens it's horror them? of
1: the gothic variety.
0: Yeah, which I think makes it inherently more believable. Um, while Lovecraftian themes and stories can be scary on the basis that it's fear of the unknown, uh, this is just as terrifying because it's horrific.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like there is, you know, the fear of the unknown is one of the scariest things, mm. but then there are also things that are actually scary in real life. Yeah. So it's like if you play on the, then the fears of the things we are already afraid of, mm. it's just as scary.
0: And I want to say that we've just done an episode on Final Destination and seeing some of the kills in this show, mm-hmm. it's not too far, <laughs> conceptually. <laughs> yeah. It's just got a, a bit more of a, uh, a guidance from a supernatural hand, sure. I
1: guess. In, in terms of, like, certain things need to line up and coincidences happen so that mm. a death takes place. Yeah. I mean, it is the same thing. It, it is the same concept of something is, you know, pushing all these things. It's just Yeah. In this, it's uh, much more overt.
0: Yeah, the driving force is literally personified. Uh, But the original story was first published in 1839, which I think is interesting as a testament to how timeless that piece was. Sure. Uh, And that material has been adapted for film twice before. So we had a 1950 film of the same name, uh, and then one just shortened to House of Usher in 2008. And I looked into these briefly, not having seen either of them. There was no cast or crew of note, really. Mm. Uh, but I think this is going to go down an instant classic.
1: That's a that's a statement. <laughs> yeah, that's a prediction. Yeah, i still we'll still it. I've already seen online though that, I mean, it might just be uh, like Mike Flanagan fans in general. Mm. A lot of them like think this is his weakest yet. Which is weird And it annoyed me Because I was reading A lot of comments on stuff That was like Is this supposed to be scary Mike Flanagan's lost his touch for scary Like it's Ah, not really Like it Just because it's not Scary and Like the absolute horror Doesn't mean it's not Fucking good
0: Yeah Don't put him in a box Like that It's just very good Storytelling And being a miniseries As well You've got like Flashbacks And like Interwoven stories And characters Mm. Like it's just Craftily written If not just Scary Yeah And uh, the plot in general across the miniseries is set between 1953 and 2023, uh, if you go from like the earliest instances of the flashback to the sort of continuing conversation that acts as the current timeline Mm -hmm. throughout the eight episodes, uh, where essentially there's these siblings that make a deal with this supernatural woman at a bar for success on the condition that their entire bloodline dies with them. Yes. To further that, they end up working for a company called Fortunato Pharmaceuticals, uh, which is somewhat corrupt, uh, mainly from the former CEO. uh, And essentially, siblings, Roderick and Madeline Usher, create a mutiny to become the new CEO and COO Mm -hmm. of the company uh, after they pitched the idea of a pain relief medication called Ligodone, right? Yep, Yep. And essentially, the former CEO rejected it then took credit credit for for it it, (laughs) after they started producing and distributing it to worldwide success. Uh, However, the current timeline of the film is taking place with Roderick Usher having a conversation with the oppositional lawyer, Orgy because now Fortunato Pharmaceuticals is on trial for the death of thousands of people. Yep,
1: some sort of class action lawsuit going on.
0: Yeah, because it's revealed that Ligodone is highly addictive... And very difficult to wean off And because of all the corruption behind the scenes To get where they were uh, Kind of all comes back to bite them in the ass mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now at We at a point in the episode Where I can just break the ice here And throw out a spoiler
1: I think you've already spoiled some stuff. So okay.
0: <laughs> if they treat the previous spoiler warning as final, then we're
1: good. Okay, because I was very blatant. I'm pretty sure you... Because you don't find out they make a deal with Verna until like the last episode.
0: Yeah, okay. It's just So
1: sorry, throw anything out.
0: Okay, we're, we're in it now. We're in the thick of it. So essentially... Everyone fucking dies. <laughs> Legitimately. All, all six of Roderick Usher's children die from youngest to oldest. And it's pretty much one per episode after the, the pilot. Yeah. Uh, so we've touched on it before. It was created by Mike Flanagan, uh, who co-wrote seven episodes and directed four of them. Mm-hmm. And this is the guy who, as you said, did Midnight Mass, which I've only seen bits and pieces of. Watch it, watch uh, it all. But I think when we were living together, I caught a bit of it secondhandly, and it looked yep. all right. Uh, also responsible for the Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Blind Manor, uh, and the Midnight Club. Midnight Club so. Yep. Not only does he rehire actors, he recycles titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, in terms of shows and then movies, though, he's done what? Uh, did he do Ouija or Ouija 2? Uh, he did,
0: is? yeah, one of the prequels. Uh, oh, but yeah. One of the sequels that was set as a prequel and I yep. think arguably the best in that franchise, I've okay. heard.
1: I'm not seeing any of them. He did Doctor Sleep. Doctor did Sleep, did, yeah, we, we have mentioned. Do, uh,
0: surely he did Gerald's Game. Yeah, because there's, I think, a scene in one of these episodes where... One of them loads up Netflix, and that's on the home oh, screen. Oh, okay, yeah. I was like, oh, nice. Yeah, because
1: it's also got, what is a Kate Spiegel, her name? Yeah. And, and Bruce yeah, Greenwood, His actually. wife. <laughs> yeah. oh, lucky man.
0: Um, and he also did Hush, which we've mentioned on the pod. Oh, of course, yes. And Oculus. Um, and on that note, uh, cinematographer Michael Fimanari also directed four episodes. So, the directorial duties were kind of split down the middle, uh, but Flanagan did uh, write all of them, mm-hmm. uh, or at least co-wrote all of them. So the idea of turning this into a miniseries was his. Uh, and it was starring... You mentioned a few of them before. We've also got Carla Gugino. Yep, is I did say I, it?
1: Before anyone cuts me off, I did get that wrong. It's Carla Gugino is in Gerald's Game. Kate he, Spiegel is in Hush. Yes, yes. Before okay. anyone tries to at me.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, who I think was in Gerald's, Gerald's game. game.
1: And he was a late addition as well. Apparently, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was another actor who was... Playing uh, Roderick Usher Right And it got like pretty not, I don't know how late it got But it was in filming And they had filmed A bunch of shots And then he got fired Oh for, I think it was just like Breaking some rules on set Like maybe Just misconduct not, Like sort of inappropriately touched one of the One of the co-stars Oh Not in okay. like a super Rapey way But one that they weren't Happy with Like yeah. on set So they got rid of him And then had to Get Bruce Greenwood in and, Yeah I mean, true. He fucking
0: killed it well, look. If Melissa Barrett or whatever her name is can get fired for a tweet, <laughs> then he can yeah. get fired for misconduct. Yeah, I gotta say, Bruce Greenwood though uh, had an exceptional performance. The good voice for it.
1: I've never seen him in anything he bad.
0: Yeah. Like, every time I see him
1: in a movie or TV show, he's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, very compelling. Um, and he does he have like a voiceover narration throughout, or am I misremembering?
1: Uh. I mean, not for every episode, I don't think, but mm. he's definitely, yeah, does a lot of narrating. Yeah. Because yeah. the whole, yeah, like you said, the whole show is him telling the story to Augie. He is the main character, I mean, he, yeah. He, he's the one who recites the Raven poem.
0: Yeah, true. Uh, which is beautiful. Yes. Uh, yeah. And then you've got Mary McDonnell playing Madeline. Uh, Carl Lumley, who is Augie. Mark mm-hmm. Hamill. Mark Hamill. Was Pim- yeah. I did not fucking <laughs> pick that dude till I was doing research for this pod. Really? Okay. I knew he was a voice actor, obviously being the Joker in the Batman animated series, so he's obviously got talent to change his voice, but he was just so, like, gravelly and deep and... Because he plays it so,
1: like, passive in this. Mm. He's not like... It's not like an outrageously, you know, out there performance. He plays everything so, like, controlled. Yeah, yeah. Which makes complete sense for the
0: character. That's actually a a perfect description. He's definitely a prevalent character in every episode and close to the two Mm. Usher siblings, but... Yeah, a restrained performance, nonetheless. Uh, and Kate Siegel, you mentioned, and Henry Thomas played the eldest son Frederick, who was Elliot in ET. No shit. Weird, right?
1: Okay, I've because in a lot of behind the scenes stuff, I didn't go so far into his actor because I'll say it now: I, was, I didn't like his character in the in the show, mm-hmm. and so I didn't really care too much. But I heard a lot of people like like the actor. Yeah, uh, but I never went
0: far enough to look who it was. I agree. He was a dislikable character. But if we don't like him for that reason, then he's he a good actor. He must be good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. A few little tidbits.
1: Oh, and you forgot Rahul Kohli.
0: Who? Rahul Kohli. Oh, yeah. Uh, Leo, right? The yeah. tattered dude? Yeah. I'm sure they were fake tattoos, but they looked cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, he...
1: I'm a, I'm a big fan of him just in general. Because he was like... The first time I saw him was in like, Zombie, Because mm. then it also had... Oh, I want to say his name is Malcolm Goodwin. Okay. Who, who plays the young Oggy in this. Oh, okay, yeah So they were both in iZombie together
0: Oh, gotcha but then, yeah.
1: yeah, I'm a big I'm a, I'm a fan of Rahul Kohli Like behind the scenes mm. And so He did a He for a while Had a podcast with these other people And occasionally He'd like throw out little tidbits Of like behind the scenes acting
0: behind, behind the scenes stuff Things that he's on
1: Yeah, and so Because he's a massive fucking nerd He was talking about like Meeting ha- uh, Mark Hamill and stuff
0: oh, And that's cool. how I
1: found out Mark Hamill was in it. I was like, fuck yeah I'm so excited
0: for this Yeah, sick uh, Yeah, so A little bit of uh, Deep diving here Werner Who's this like mysterious supernatural woman that they made? with. Played by Carlo I, I, Is
1: Gugino? it Gugino? I've heard someone call it Gugino and I don't know now. I'm going to say Gugino okay. and
0: let's roll with that. Yeah. So Verna. Uh, Verna is an anagram of Raven. Of course. Which I did not realize. I feel dumb for that. Because <laughs> uh, you never see a name written anywhere. So I don't know. Maybe i just pick up on it that way. Uh, The children's names, uh, inspired by characters from other short stories by Poe, which Mm -hmm. I might have mentioned before, and uh, the Amontillado that Roderick drinks in the first episode makes a a big deal of describing it and close-ups of it uh, that they, another spoiler, uh, used to kill their former CEO by spiking it and then uh, burying him him. (laughs) alive in a a wall. (laughs) Uh, That was actually from a Poe short story called The Cask of Amontillado. Uh, And I really like that being a Chekhov's gun as well because that's like in the opening sequence almost of the first episode. And it's not revealed the substance that has to his story until the last episode when they reveal what happened to the former CEO. Uh, And another cool thing is each of the eight episodes are titled... Uh, stories or poems of of Poe's, uh, beginning with a midnight dreary, which is that actually a story of his, or is that just a line from the that, Raven? I
1: think that's the first line of the Raven. Yeah, isn't it?
0: I, I think so. Uh, which is cool, cause m- makes everything come full circle. Yeah. Uh, and essentially, uh, as we said before, it's it begins with this conversation between Roderick and Augie, and that's the current timeline that keeps coming back. Uh, throughout the the other episodes and they're essentially on trial for this uh, opioid epidemic and he explains to Augie that he's lost all six children in two weeks uh, in horrific ways and he invites him to this house to give him his confession. Yeah, Yeah, he lets Augie record it but he just takes his sweet ass time getting to the point (laughs) which uh, throughout the series eventually multiple times leads to Orgy getting up and, yeah. and getting ready to walk out, but <laughs> yep. then something weird will happen in the house or Roderick sort of increasingly reacts in startling ways to make him stay, essentially, for his well-being.
1: Yeah, well, he ups it from, like, originally confessing to all the Ligno and stuff to then, like, I'm going to confess to murder.
0: Mm. Yeah. Keep, and that, him, keep him hooked. And it's kind of been his life's work to try and nail this guy uh, because he knows that sort of their lifelong success is fraudulent. He's just not certain how yeah and he discovers that through this conversation uh but it's also interesting that because it's been such a long ongoing legal battle they're almost frenemies like they've been brought together by chance and they kind of have this mutual respect but they're again like each of their values go against what the other believes so strongly Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting dynamic
1: yeah well it plays it even more because then in one of the episodes well in a lot of the episodes in the, like the before, like the back, the flashbacks, Mm. like they're, they are friends and they're working together to like take down the CEO of Fortunato. And then you get the betrayal from Roderick. And then that's when Mm. they become enemies from friends. But then, yeah, I guess they sort of keep this sort of mutual respect between the two.
0: Yeah. They build up this strong rapport only for him to backpedal and humiliate Augie in front of, You know, a room of Mm. legal officials on Madeline's advice. And they've backstabbed him and his wife leaves (laughs) him and everything gets downhill from there. Well, yes. But uh, this conversation as well, it's interesting that Roderick kind of is haunted by the ghosts of his children as he's speaking with Augie, but only he can see them. Mm -hmm. And part of him thinks it's just hallucinations from the condition that he has that he's diagnosed with, that he sort of keeps tight lipped about uh, and only really confesses or confides in Madeline and Pim about. Uh, And he sees them in like the state of which they died. So they're like mutilated and uh, right up in his grill, which (laughs) is uh, provides a lot of good material for jump scares throughout.
1: Which I kind of love because like, because I'm pretty sure you see them all in the first episode. Mm. And so immediately off the bat, it, it, in the know. church, is it? For the in, I believe it's in the church. You see them all like lined up, and uh, so it's interesting to look. At. All right, we're about to have seven more episodes, but we know who like who's going to die, mm. and so it's then the fun is working out how and when, and you know who's going to go in what order. Yeah. But then also because you've seen their faces and their state of their diet, it's like figuring out exactly how they die.
0: Mm. It's almost interesting. Yeah, which again I think strengthens that connection to. The concept of Final Destination, which is just weird that we've happened to time it uh, (laughs) one after the other. Totally planned. Yeah. And one more thing I'll say about this conversation. Um, They're in this old house that's revealed to be the Usher's childhood home. And Roderick's lamp flickers throughout the entire ordeal, but Augie's does not. And I kind of saw that, like, you know, his light about to go out as being like his life is about to end. But Augie's is still going strong.
1: I definitely did not catch that
0: so. Yeah, I thought that was a nice subtlety from from Flanagan uh, And that's pretty much just setting up the show And then the next one is You move into the Mask of the Red Death Which is where you see the first death Of one of the kids being the youngest uh, Prospero, yep. known as Perry And he's kind of this young entrepreneur Who wants to transform One of these dilapidated buildings At the Ash's Own into a nightclub And has a dispute with his oldest brother, Frederick. So, he invites Frederick's wife as revenge to try and like seduce her, essentially. Yep. Uh, and he invites her to this orgy. He's not even subtle about it. Yeah. And the chemical waste of when it was an operating factory... I can't remember what kind of building it was. It's some it sort of made. chemical factory, but it's acid. Yeah. So, the water tanks are actually filled with acid, so the Usher family didn't, or the company didn't have to pay for the correct disposal of it and be charged with uh, the necessary fees. So when the sprinklers activated this, like, club when everyone's dancing uh, that's kind of signal the time to have the orgy when all the lights go red... Everyone burns to <laughs> death. Yeah, it's it fused together on the floor. What
1: a uh, what a death to kick off <laughs> all yeah. the children dying. Yeah. It's definitely the one that's like the most sort of shocking, I guess, because it is the first one. Like, you know they're all going to die. Yeah. And you've seen their bodies in the ghosts, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, okay, it's a r- giant room full of people burning to death mm. and melting in acid rain.
0: Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, it was gnarly. And, <laughs>
1: and I think it's... Probably fair to say It's the goriest of the deaths
0: I think so And I follow Mike Flanagan On socials And I'm pretty sure A lot of the burnt bodies Were practical effects Because I remember Yeah, believe it. yeah I remember Seeing behind the scenes Shots of just People on the ground Behind him When he took like a selfie With his wife And they were just like Charred bloody remains and I was yep. like Oh that's sick I wonder what he's working on <laughs> And it was this scene uh, and this is the first instance as well where you see Werner kind of appear uh, before each of the children before mm-hmm. they have a dramatic death. And she essentially warns him, right, like not to to go mm-hmm. ahead with it or, or to be careful about like backstabbing family members and all this kind of thing. And, and it all goes horribly wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, and at this point, I don't think you've seen her or maybe you've seen her in the bar in the flashback. Yeah. So at, at this point, you don't kind of fully understand what role she has to play. She's just this mysterious woman mm. that approaches one of the children. And then, yeah. uh, weaves her way into all the others later as well. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting that every time, well, pretty much every time right before any of the children are going to die, she always gives them a choice of, yeah. you don't have to do it this way. You, you could, you know, choose to go home, do something else. Yep. And, uh, Oh, it's interesting that she gives them a choice.
0: Yeah, the underlying theme of the entire show is greed, and every single character that dies had a choice and had a chance where they could, uh, you know, do what was right, do what was good, prevent their own fate, or at least postpone their own fate, and well, they all went with greed.
1: <laughs> do you think she wouldn't have killed them? Because I, I, I think she still would have killed them.
0: I don't know. We'll never know because everyone just chose greed.
1: <sighs> okay, but what about Lenore? She, yeah, I that, thats so, what yeah. makes me think. Because the whole deal, she's she's pretty much bound by this deal she made in this in this tavern, mm. and so she's just holding up her end of the bargain. She has to kill all these people, including Lenore, yeah. who she even says, "I like, I don't enjoy this part. I I wish it didn't have to be." Yeah. But I, in my mind, it's just she's giving them a way of, you know, a peaceful death, like mm. Lenore's, or just touch on the forehead, you know, falling down, going to yeah. sleep, instead of getting melted by acid or face ripped yeah. off by a
0: chimpanzee. She just makes it graceful. Yeah, I think uh, leaning into that greed uh, motive as well is interesting. Uh, two very important things in this episode is that Frederick's wife, who Frederick being the heir to Fortunato, um, being the eldest son, uh, his wife is a sole survivor while still severely burnt.
1: Yep. That's probably the only nitpick I have about the, like, the story of this. Okay. Because... I get it needs to happen for the show and for his episode specifically. Mm. But you're telling me in a giant ass room of like (laughs) a hundred or so people, she's the one that fucking survives? Yeah. I don't know. It's too... There is That's a, too coincidental
0: for me There is a plot hole in there I can see Like you said They did it so Freddy could have his character arc And devolve into the character he becomes.
1: Yeah Which I'm also not a fan of mm,
0: Okay uh, The other interesting thing That happens in this episode Is Augie uh, The oppositional lawyer Plants this seed in their mind That one of them is an informant Yeah And essentially turns The Usher family Against themselves mm. Which He just sits back And watches chaos ensue <laughs> And then the truth Will reveal itself eventually Right Yeah so I thought that was really cool because uh, he doesn't even reveal to Roderick that there never was an informant until that conversation in the current timeline. Uh, and the third episode is Murder in the Room Org, Uh, which essentially is, is where you see the former CEO take credit for Own, uh, and tensions start to rise between those all two in the s- flashbacks.
1: And then tension rise for all the siblings in the current time.
0: Yeah, right? yeah. Because now they're all like, oh, which one of the, you know, siblings... Yeah, is the rat or whatever And um, everyone starts to get pretty toxic and and vicious toward each other
1: Yep And I think, uh, like, a key part of that is because What is it? Frederick and Tammy Mm. are the only two who are from the same mother So they're they're both from Annabelle Lee Yeah Whereas everyone else is, like, each from a different woman, you know The womanizing Yeah (laughs) uh, Roderick Astor
0: And none of the children were with his current wife, Juno Yes Right? Yeah and yeah this episode is interesting how it kind of centers around this heart device that uh one of the children victorine i think the surgeon is creating uh that it can essentially just prolong life after the heart stops right just keeps the heart beating automatically keeps the heart beating it's a pacemaker
1: (laughs) uh that's reductive to call it that i'm sure it's much more advanced (laughs)
0: Uh, and anyway, they are carrying out these illegal tests on chimpanzees that all fail. Uh, the chimps all end up dying.
1: Well, I think the tests themselves are legal, but they're fudging the results.
0: Oh, true. Yes, they're, they,
1: do, they're doing shady things, but I think they are allowed to do some sort of tests on the chimps.
0: Yeah, fair. Uh, and essentially, Verna, this this woman poses the first human subject. Uh, you know, she comes to Victorine saying, "Look, I'm I'm happy to." Uh, go out of the knife be the test subject uh, and then like, later go ahead
1: well I think even more than that she sort of plays into like uh, Vic's greed because yeah. she doesn't come out and say I have this problem can you help me I want to help mm. she plays it as more of a like a hapless she coincidentally has everything wrong that Vic like what is it Victorine needs mm-hmm. and so it it like triggers Victorine's greed and so Victorine jumps on her yeah and so it. Yeah, it's sort of, again, giving her a chance to not be a complete piece of shit. Yeah. So just be like, oh, no, I'm not going to do this to you because it's wrong. Mm. But instead, Vic goes, oh, this is perfect. I'm not even seeing her as a proper human. Like, you are the answer to my solutions. Yeah. Answer to my solutions. The solution to my problems.
0: (laughs) She definitely forces her hand, like, knowing that it's ill-prepared. But also, Roderick is pushing her for results because he now has been diagnosed with, uh, what is it, KatoCyl? yeah, I don't know and what it is. it's essentially a, a hereditary stroke yep. disorder um, that I think their mother the died mother of, right? Died, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of giving her more funding um, to, to push this along. So she's got a lot of pressure, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she's got her dad, who happens to be a CEO of this <laughs> wealthy company and this mysterious woman that's uh, posing as the ideal candidate for this yep. surgery. Uh, and then... Verna also poses later on as like a security guard to where the the lab is and where the chimps are kept, uh, to Camille, who is uh, the PR head of Fortunato, right? Yeah. She deals with like with the, the, the spinster. Yeah, and she's a weird character, fascinating, but she has all right. She has sex slave assistants. Yep. It, yep. Uh, well, let's just slaves. put it
1: simply: they're not, they're not slaves; they get paid a very handsome salary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they do, but they don't want to do it. <laughs> well, they fall in, the, in love in with the each end other. They don't. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna go be a happy couple." We resign. And she's like, "What do you mean? It's yeah. part of the deal that you it's, relieve me of my <laughs> sexual
1: tension." Well, it's definitely a strange setup. Yeah, but it—I mean—it works for them all.
0: I don't know where that concept came from, but I'm it,
1: sure there are people out there who have that in real life. It an well, a, an yeah. assistant. Where part of the job description is to then, like, please them. Yeah. That's got to be.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ask for a raise, but not that kind. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's definitely a little perverse. Like, I don't want to kink shame, but it seems to be a running theme in the family when you look at, like, Tammy, for example, and her, like, cock fetish. (laughs) Yeah. We'll get into that. Uh, Yeah, so she goes there and she... Why does she want to be there? Why does she want to access the... Because she chimps.
1: wants to prove that Vic is like, fuck, uh, like faking the documents and the chimps are dying, so mm. she's trying to find proof to throw Vic under the bus and also I think prove that Vic's the, the mole, the informant.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And she is quite horrible. <laughs> she's yeah. She is toxic as hell.
1: And I legitimately did not realize until like I looked up on IMDb that it was Kate Spiegel. Oh, okay. It was unrecognizable. Yeah. Yeah. I did also read some interviews that Kate Spiegel, like, modelled the look and sort of feel of the character after Mirage from The Incredibles. So that's why it's, she's got, like, the silver
0: hair and, like, uh, just the way okay. it's cut. And, yeah, well, like, that deep eyeliner. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, I do like her as an actress, I've got to say. Like, I very oh, much yeah. enjoyed her as a mute character in Hush. Uh, and I think I really enjoyed a character in... was a Horny Hill House. Have you seen that?
1: I've not seen that still.
0: Oh, uh, okay. I think she plays like a sensitive okay. and she can like pick up on things by touching people. Sure. Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, anyway, Camille, the PR head, gets mauled to death by a chimpanzee. What a way to go. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, I know why they did it, but you don't see it happen. <laughs> and I would have liked that. I would have liked to get real nitty and gritty, real graphic. Like real, like nope level. Yeah, dude Because
1: that, Whenever- that's, that's like the pinnacle of, you know, a chimpanzee attack yeah. scene Yeah Don't maybe, maybe, make- that, maybe that's why they didn't do it They're like, well, nope, came out not that long ago Yeah We're not going to be able to do it as well We yeah. just won't show it
0: Don't make one of the smartest animals under humans in the animal kingdom Do what they don't want to do
1: <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, that shit happens in real life and They're strong Yeah There was a whole uh, story in America I don't know what years, probably in the 2000s, mm. 20- 2010, something like that where there was a woman who had a chimpanzee as a pet Because apparently oh. people can have that Yeah, used and to work on
0: a movie set or something Did or, it? I'm not
1: sure about that Okay, continue But uh, she was pretty much like She pretty much kept this chimpanzee like drugged up on like I don't know, Xanax and shit oh. And maybe did some less than savory things with the chimp yeah. Potentially uh, And then one day, yeah, the chimp just raged out And fucking tore her face Snapped. off Snapped Yeah and I think, I want to say she lived Oh but, I, but I'm not so sure on that
0: Yeah Wild, I, I can't remember who it is, but when one of the other siblings, or might have been um, Madeline or Roderick, like approach the lad the next day or whatever, you do see like the sight of the attack, and it's yep. there's just like I don't know a hunk of meat and like yeah. blood splattered everywhere. So I do like that while it does cut away during the actual attack, you do see the graphic aftermath. Yeah. I'll give him that.
1: I also like that to her end, she was like a spiteful character that. Didn't apologize or anything. I th- what did she say? Like, fuck it, I got mine? Yeah. Like Those were her, like her last words before she dies? Yeah. Something so. like that.
0: Uh, now, if you can hear Monty meowing in the background, this is a fitting segue to the next episode. <laughs> uh, and possibly my favorite of the miniseries, Ooh, The Black okay. Cat. I'd say it's definitely
1: the most sort of self-contained episode. Yeah. Because... Yeah. And I think I also read that it is the most like... Um, Sort of direct interpretation from any of the works.
0: Okay, yeah, I do vaguely recall this story. Uh, The Black Cat centers around Napoleon or Leo, who's a drug dealing video game publisher. Uh, I don't really see him working at all in this miniseries. He's just at home playing games, which I guess could be working, just testing them. Well, he's already like rich. Yeah, well, need to work. Yeah, he's he's already done the hard yards. Supposedly born into it, but you know. Uh,
1: And this is that. That's an interesting thing because they're not. I don't think they. A lot of them found out until they were like eighteen or something. Found out what? That they were an usher. Because I'm pretty sure. I know at least Prospero. Mm. They say is a fresh one, who did like he didn't find out he was an usher until maybe he turned sixteen or something. Okay. I'm pretty sure for like the first couple of years of the kids, like most of the kids' lives, they weren't. They didn't know they were an usher until Roderick then came and was like, "You're my son," or "You're my daughter."
0: Okay. This is probably the episode with the most comic relief, I think as well. Oh, I fu- I found many parts <laughs> of it funny. Uh, w- I, I can't pinpoint any
1: any points, but I know throughout each of the episodes, there's definitely some some black humour.
0: Yeah, like I like in this one. Uh, so essentially, the the plot of this episode is that uh, he's getting too into his own stuff, and while he's high, he thinks he kills his partner's cat. Yep, and he replaces it with an identical-looking cat that he buys from Werner, who is posing as, uh, I don't know, a not a vet. What do you call him? Someone that works at a...
1: Uh, someone who works at a shelter. An adoption shelter, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, essentially, the new cat uh, obviously behaves uh, suspiciously. P- poorly. And, yeah, like, is tormenting him, really. Um, leaves, like, dead things in his bed and uh, in the sink and things like that. And <laughs> there's a moment in the episode where he can't sleep so <laughs> he wakes his partner up and he's like oh is there anything i can do to help and he's like oh lift the sheet up was like while you're up yeah and while his partner's gone down on him he looks across the hall and sees the eyes of the cat and he's like creepy little fuck <laughs> and the dude looks up and he's like oh no no not you <laughs>
1: But doesn't he, like, knee him in... The, oh, no, because then he finds, like, a dead rat under his pillow. Yeah, like yeah. And, knees his partner in the face
0: and yeah. gets all bloody and shit. He's like, no, the, the cat's playing up. I'm calling Verna back. She can she can take her back, whatever. And he's trying to catch the cat, and he's driving himself crazy, trying to find it to the point where he's destroying the apartment, putting holes in the walls. Uh, he's, like, using weapons to try and kill it. <laughs> Fucking but, Mjolnir. Yeah, yeah. And when... Whenever he actually gets hold of it and does damage to it, Verna reflects the same injuries in person. Like oh, there's yep. a scene where her eye is like, like hanging on out, her yeah. cheek from the optic nerve, like cool shit like that. Uh, and I think the cat like launches at him, right? And he's staggering backwards and he falls over the balcony. And no, that's not how it happens. How, no, how does no, no, he? No. How does he die? Nah, no.
1: uh, he. It's it's when the boyfriend comes home at, okay. at one point, and then he's tearing up the place. And then he just thinks he sees the cat on the balcony, so he goes to run at it and then just falls over the balcony. Oh, So it's because of his own stupidity. Gotcha. That he just chases after the cat and
0: fucks up. Just splats on the ground. Yeah. I also like that he falls, like, right beside the car. Like, I thought it was going to be one of those typical scenes where they fall from a height and fall (laughs) through the windscreen or something. Just plays on your expectations.
1: Yeah. How gnarly is it, though, like, before any of the super bad stuff happens, he gets, like, that cut on his eye. Oh yeah. I'm always terrified. Of that. I don't put my face near wild animals. Yeah. Well, not even, not even domesticated animals, mm. but, uh, yeah, they look like so real and so painful. And yeah. yet he doesn't even go to the doctor for it. I don't think,
0: uh, moving along, we have the telltale heart, which is, uh, probably my favorite story. Probably
1: other than the Raven, I'd guess the most well known.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Uh, Interesting uh, side note, actually, you'd be a fan of this. The Telltale Heart was adapted into a short film by Robert Eggers. Is that yeah, right? your man? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can actually see it for free on YouTube.
1: I will be doing that.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty, uh, like not a lot happens. Oh, but it's the, the end sequence is really cool. But I mean, that's Robert Eggers, right? Sure. Like it's a lot of observational horror. Uh, anyway, this uh, is an interesting one uh, because. It's one of Poe's more renowned works, uh, but it also ties in, like, two of the other children's stories um, into Victorine's, who is the, the character that dies in yep. this episode. Uh, and so, at this point, Freddie takes his wife home from the hospital, who is the sole survivor of the, uh, the raining acid in the orgy club. Yep. Uh, people have just tuned in <laughs> to this. If they're, like, driving, got to be like, what the fuck are they talking about? Uh, it gets weird, man. Uh, Anyway, he takes them home against Doctor's orders uh, and essentially he gets vengeful toward her and he wants to deprave her and and torture her because he suspects she was having an affair. Mm At this point, knows nothing about, you know, what was happening or could have potentially happened between her and Perry. And gets to a point where he's, like, drugging her whenever she's ready to speak so she can kind of slip back into coma or whatever. Yep. Uh, And Lenore, uh, his daughter... Starts asking, like, where these specialists are that are meant to be coming to the house, and uh, he doesn't let her see her mom. And she starts to notice him acting a bit strangely. And by this point, I think he's also like a coke addict, yeah. He's been he went to uh, Leo, got, got some drugs off Leo, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, definitely uh, quickly deteriorating. And uh, Victorine forges her partner's signature, who is both her relationship partner and partner at work, yep. Uh, to commence this surgery on the the first human subject, who is actually Verna, uh, and they have an argument when her partner discovers this, which causes her to accidentally kill her by launching a fucking ashtray or something <laughs> yeah. at her head. Uh, I, re- what, I really I wonder, like that. I wonder what it was that she threw. Maybe it has like some sort of
1: significance.
0: Oh, uh, maybe. I just thought it was an ashtray, but I could be wrong. I really like that when they're arguing; it shows like her storming out and. Uh, Victorine like screaming at her or throwing something but then it cuts away and it's not until yeah. like the end of the episode it's revealed that she actually killed her Yep, I kind of suspected it but I thought it was nice pacing a good reveal and uh, throughout the episode when Victorine's at work or out and about in her day she just hears this like incessant ticking like chirping or oh, chirping it's called, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a strange it's a peculiar sound uh, and it's always there in the back of her mind to the point where you know she can't focused in a conversation with someone and she thinks she's going insane and roderick pays a late night visit to her apartment to sort of see how you know the research or the potential surgery is coming along and she's distracted and and stops him just like look can you hear that and he actually can yeah and that's an interesting point in this episode as well because it's like okay it's not all in her head and up to this, this
1: point. Up, well up to this point yeah it was in her head because nobody yeah. else could hear
0: it yeah that was a nice twist too uh So it's been confirmed now that someone else can hear the sound and when they identify it, she shows him that the heart device does work (laughs) to a degree because she's put it on the heart of her dead partner who Mm -hmm. she has...
1: Accidentally killed. Accidentally killed. cut her open and then attach the thing to her heart.
0: And they have a shot of her in the next room with just like an exposed chest cavity and this little thing like twitching inside it. And that was the source of the sound. Then when she realizes what she's done, she just commits seppuku right in front of Roderick. (laughs) And I love his reaction to that too. It's very convincing. (laughs) What? Just the shock. Oh, yeah. the,
1: The little bit of black humor before it though where... She says something, I can't remember what she says, but she's like talking or she references the, the dead woman and mm. and Roderick is like, oh no, she's quite dead, dear.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like matter of fact and candidness is pretty funny there. Yeah, but yeah. it's very, very kind of strange she just then stabs herself in the gut. Mm, and I think she did a very like, very good performance of acting insane before she does.
0: Yeah, yeah, because the, the original story is essentially a, a guy that's working for uh someone essentially is a butler and he kills the man in his sleep and buries him under the floorboards and then when people haven't heard from him for a while cops go over to investigate and the guy tries to act normal like nothing's happened and to do that he invites them in for a drink and he entertains them and they start laughing and uh the beating of the heart uh, Mm -hmm. starts coming up through the floorboards but only he can hear it so as a result He acts like Victorine and starts like going insane. Like, can't you hear that? Yep. And in the end, it's him that digs up the floorboard and they (laughs) find the the dead body. So, he kind of is his own undoing. as like a metaphor for guilt, I guess. It's, yeah, really well written. Moving along, we have Goldbug, episode six. Yep. Now, this is where Tammy, who is like this entrepreneur who... Uh, essentially has this... Like fitness brand? Yeah, like yeah. Goop,
1: oh, Gwyneth Paltrow goop style. Yeah, I was trying to figure which out which I what, think what they reference in, in a lot of times is like it's not goop.
0: Yeah, because their partner is like the face of it where he's like the exercise instructor guy. Yeah. But then she creates these like personalized packages, right? Which are kind of tailored to how you want to better yourself. Yep. Uh, which is kind of revealed in this presentation at the end of the episode or whatever. Um, but she also kind of hallucinates from insomnia because she's a workaholic, always on a laptop. As a result, she's constantly irritated and fighting with a partner uh, who she thinks is like having an affair with someone in one of these like online videos who is actually it Turns Verna. out to be Verna. Yeah, and she's the one that has this weird fetish where she kind of... they call it a weird fetish. <laughs> the hell apologies to any cut queens out there all right hot take she has this fetish there you go it's not a weird fetish she has this fetish where she invites prostitutes over
1: escorts but yes
0: escorts sorry yep i use the respectful title (laughs) uh where she watches them have like a wholesome dinner and conversation with a partner pretty
1: much an evening of intimacy in all its glory
0: yeah before getting it on and uh him who is is mark hamill he's Mm -hmm. like there he's like fortunato's like lawyer and kind of henchman the the fixer man yeah you have a problem he's the guy yeah yeah uh he discovers that Werner, interestingly enough has been in these photographs of these famous families throughout history and they go as far back as like the 19th century right which i thought was a nice nod yep uh to the to the material and so at this point it's kind of set in stone that she is either not real or she has, like, transcended human life. Yep.
1: because uh, some otherworldly being.
0: At this point, Madeline remembered her from that night in, you know, the 60s or whenever it was, uh, many years ago, 70s maybe. Uh, and Roderick was, like, denying it and putting it down to his condition. Uh, and now it was, like, undisputable, right? Mm-hmm. They had photo evidence. Uh, so shit gets weird. And... At this presentation I mentioned before, uh, Tammy or Tamerlane, uh, she's kind of launching these packages and it's another interesting dynamic between the family where Juno, who is Roderick's current wife, much younger and essentially a walking, talking success story of Ligodone. Yeah. After she she's her. on
1: like the highest dose of it out of anyone and still functioning fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, he essentially reveals in a backhanded <laughs> way that that's why he loves her. Is yeah. Because pretty Because he's proof it works. Uh, she's proof of work, sorry. Um, yeah, like lost a leg in a car accident or something. And she has this like honest heart-to-heart conversation with Tammy before this talk where she tries to say like, Hey, look, I know you know, I'm late to the party. You'll never see me as your real mum, And I just really hope that one day we can be much closer and we can do things together, this kind of thing. And Tammy kind of shuts it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she's like front row, of this presentation, like super <laughs> proud of her. She even says that. And then <laughs> I like she, another moment of comedy, turns to the person next to her and she's like, oh, watch Marta be full of poo. <laughs> 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 Where well, they've all got like their personalized packages out of their seats. Um, and again, she's giving this talk and this sex tape with Verna and her partner in it uh, starts like projecting behind her, but she's the only one who can see it. And then you see Verna there in the crowd as well, kind of orchestrating everything. Uh, She goes home and she's stressing out, breaks down, has like a mental snap. And she's got all these like mirrors in her home and she keeps seeing Werner in them, but she's not like in the the physical house. She ends up on the bed, right? Mm -hmm. And then she's got like this mirror above the bed that essentially shatters and shards of just stab into her. What Um, a beautiful scene. And there's just like five seconds of silence just watching that (laughs) shot before... You know, that title card, so... Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. Probably my favourite death, I think, in the series. I think it's one of the
1: most... Not interesting story, but maybe one of the most interesting stories because a lot of it is to do with, like, her fear of being replaced. Because mm, yeah. that, that that plays into a lot of the, the whole Verna stuff and her partner. It's like, she thinks she's having an affair, but then she thinks she keeps seeing him in the videos and then she starts to look like her. And yeah. So the whole time, she's just thinking...
0: I don't want to be replaced. I think it's a really good point to make given that she comes home to a house that's full of mirrors, but she can't stand to see herself that's or it. the reflections create multiple versions of her.
1: Well, I think it, it goes to say a lot about the entire family of every single one of the the members and maybe the children Uh, like have intimacy issues and can't actually maintain a good relationship. Like yeah. the closest you get is probably Leo, but even that, like he's got a boyfriend, but he's... He's seen cheating on him With like Mm.
0: Some random woman as well Yeah And he kind of
1: is A lot of the time Sort of Not that Into him If that makes sense
0: I don't think Any of them know True love Except for Lenore Who's the granddaughter And obviously the love Is just for her mum Yeah And for her grandfather Yes And uh Yeah probably to do with the fact That they didn't have a father Growing up
1: (laughs) Yeah Well because even Vic Pretty much their relationship Is very I don't know Transactional It's almost as if She's using her Yeah for like for her surgical skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all the happiness comes from money. I mean, we were just talking about the lotto $200 million dollar lotto, yeah. $200 mil. God damn. And what would you do with that, you said? Oh, many like things. Fucking never work again. Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Instantly pay off the house.
1: You could buy like 100 houses. It doesn't fucking matter.
0: You could. Get anyway. an investment property. Take Dang. a gap year. Like I said, you could take a gap life. A gap life. We could make that, that movie idea. What was it? <laughs> Fucking
1: uh, Which one? We've had a couple. Yeah. This the zombie one? The one? What was the one?
0: zombie one? Like in space or some <laughs> shit? on Mars <laughs> or something? Uh, the seventh episode is The Pit and the Pendulum. And I was particularly keen for this purely based on the title because that was another one of my favorite Poe short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's essentially... Winky? It's a dude that gets strapped to a table and there's this swinging blade that just slowly serves him in half and while it's coming down for him, these rats are like gnawing at him in this dark cellar. And yeah, it was, I just remember it being grim graphic. And uh, so I was keen to see how this played out. I was just disappointed at how much CGA, CGA, CGA. CGI was used in this one in comparison to the other ones, but we'll get to that. Uh, So essentially the Pit and the pendulum uh, at this point, Madeline's pitched the idea of converting Fortunato to an AI company, Mm -hmm. which kind of comes back into play in the final uh, episode. uh, And, Throughout these flashbacks and even just offhanded comments she makes in the miniseries, you can see she's very anti-patriarchy. Mm, yes, she, she she hates men for good reason. Ne- you,
1: never wants to get married or yeah. have children or anything like that. Yeah, she when wants you, wants to be a very successful woman on her own.
0: Yeah, and she is like the brains behind Roderick. Like he's the face of Fortunato. He's the guy that sort of puts the fist down, but she's the one orchestrating everything. Yep. It seems like even though they do have genuine love for each other, she's always got ulterior motives in everything she does. Yep. Always looks out for herself. Uh, but you can see on you know the other hand that in these flashbacks, particularly through eras like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, how she's been mistreated for being female. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the, the business uh, environment. So I get it. <laughs> in this episode also is where Freddie really becomes dislikable. Because yeah. he's full on cocaine addict, like he's snorting shit off his hand every five minutes and gets to a point where he has pure hatred for his wife, who's just in bed, like <laughs> plugged in a machine's bandaged up, can barely speak. I don't know, she was gonna cheat on him, you know. <laughs>
1: uh it's more than hatred though, like well maybe it's less than hatred because it is a hatred and he wants to get back at her, but he even mm. says or oh, it's his belief that He just needs to make a point Mm. and do something horrible Mm. and then they start fresh. She'll be in line. So in his mind, he's thinking, This is I'm about to do something very bad, but once I do it, we can start fresh and then we're both good. Which is completely fucking whack.
0: Yeah. Like I don't by the way, I don't want to defend her actions. Like I get what she was (laughs) doing was a shitty thing, but just fast forwarding to this point, the ratio is off. Yes. The, the actions versus the consequences. But, yeah. yeah, he's got this mentality of she'll be once bitten twice shy. and Well, how could she bite anything with no teeth? Yeah, Nathan. <laughs> explain how he tortures her. What, mean, what is the big thing that he does he, to make her... Well, all he does is he drugs her
1: so that she is conscious but unable to move, but able to feel pain, mm. and individually rips out her teeth with pliers. Yeah. Yeah. and then he's and then that's it. Then they can be a loving married couple again. It's like the loved ones,
0: <laughs> but you don't really see it, do you? Just see him like reaching yeah. and grab one, and it's all, then, it's all
1: the implied horror there.
0: Yeah, it cuts to a shot of like blood running out of a mouth and a collection of teeth on a <laughs> metal tray or something like that. Uh, and Freddy essentially wants to get his revenge, his posthumous revenge against Prospero by demolishing the building where he was hosting this party right so he goes there and he calls up all these construction workers in the middle of the night to destroy it asap he doesn't want to wait for permits he doesn't want to wait for business hours and he goes in there and he's like takes a big piss in there and uh snorts these drugs that turns out have been spiked by verna when he was like entranced by her anyway he's paralyzed as a result collapses on the ground after pissing inside this abandoned building and the demolition starts because he says, Look, I'm just going to be five minutes, just start it. I'll be out in a second. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he doesn't make it out, and the building starts collapsing. And then, where the pendulum aspect comes in, is you get this like swinging, sharp piece of metal that, as the building comes down, inches closer and closer to him and eventually just slowly slices him in half. Mm-hmm.
1: Real saw, was that saw five or saw yeah. four? Yeah. One
0: anyway. of them. And I just like that it's essentially what happens to his wife by his hand. yeah. Aware, uh, but unable to move. He and reaped uh, what he sue, sow, yeah, sewed. What he had, he had sewn. sewn. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing happened to him. And yeah, it was uh, poetic justice.
1: Yep. And I do like that you get the moment with Verna where she sort of goes into saying, with all the others, it's not personal. Mm. I just sort of maybe push things along and let it, but mostly let, Everything play out mm-hmm. Whereas this one She got actively engaged And like yeah tranced him And yeah. made sure He had the drugs
0: yeah. So that he could actually Really suffer She was of the opinion That he very much Deserved this
1: yeah, And he did He, he did. did
0: Yes And what I said before About this While I was most Looking forward to this kill I was just disappointed By how much CGI uh, But I get You know Big swinging blade <laughs> in, a, in a warehouse Hard to do that in real life Yeah so I get it I'll, I'll make peace with it uh, Nonetheless It's a gnarly Slow painful death Yeah And then We get to The Raven The season finale Or the The miniseries Climax mm-hmm. And Poe's most notable work This is the one that Opens with a flashback Of Madeline and Roderick uh, Spiking the drink Of their former CEO Way back at that New Year's Eve party Burying him In a brick wall In the basement of the house um, with the Jester hat, right, which is why uh, I like earlier in the show, uh, that's where uh, Roderick goes to drink alone and think and he hears bells. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was cool. It was and like then, taunting o- occasionally him.
1: Occasionally you see the, the Jester pop up in previous episodes. Yeah. And so it's kind of... Immediately, like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. How does that play into any of this? And it's Halloween costume. Yeah, because they kind oh, of maybe p- not Halloween, but it's a costume.
0: Yeah, yeah, they play it off that the bells just could be like a symptom of his condition, mm. like just when people smell burnt toast if they've got cancer or whatever the well, fucking theory is. Okay, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's when I have a stroke. Oh, stroke. <laughs> That's probably more likely. Uh, yeah, so I thought that was nice uh, that reveal, and essentially this is when things start coming full circle. So Verna offers Pim. Immunity uh, and it's like, look, you'll be free of charge if you let me kill you. Uh, essentially, she invites him to the childhood home, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he declines. He wants to take the, the noble way out and she doesn't do his Im- time. I,
1: I believe she doesn't invite him because it, it's kind of a funny moment where oh, yeah, he, yeah. he's had people sort of trailing the house or like staking out the house. And seeing the woman there. So then he goes in as the fixer yeah. to take care of her. And he does. He gets into the house. Yeah. Like d- just drugs her. Immediately puts her into like a, a wrap-up plastic like a body bag. bag. Yeah. Freaking Dexter style. Tapes her up. And then she's just standing off in the corner. Yeah. Barney Gumble just yeah. appears behind her. Yeah. <laughs> behind him again. So that, that was a pretty funny moment. And then that's why they have the conversation. She offers him the deal when he's, no, thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He knows what he's about. Yep. Yep. He's uh, made his bed and he's going to sleep in it,
1: which I love. He's a yeah. instant character of like he knows what he wants and what he wants mm-hmm. to do, and he's completely happy to do it.
0: He's a man of principle, yeah, which I respect one hundred percent. And uh, at the end of the day, he's a hide goon. Yeah. So you know he's done his job, <laughs> and uh, like you said before, this is one of the more touching moments uh, of the series where Verna must kill Lenore as is the clause in their deal that Mm -hmm. their entire bloodline should die with them. Mm -hmm. And what I really like about this moment is she tells Lenore the future of her mother, how she's going to get better. She's escaped the clutches of her father. Um, She's going to start like a foundation Mm -hmm. and help a lot of people. Uh, And it kind of gives her like a sense of peace. And she doesn't really like explain why Lenore has to die.
1: Yeah, just, just that she does and that good things will come of it.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned before as well, Verna, you can see, does not enjoy it. Like She, she cries and she sheds a tear mm-hmm. after having to, to uh, kill Lenore, which is, this is interesting because everything's starting to tie in now. The fact that it's called The Raven and there's been that lingering motif uh, in other episodes so far and also the introduction of the AI that Madeline wants to sort of lean towards and during this overarching conversation that Roderick and Augie are having, his phone keeps buzzing and you think it's like someone trying to call him or text him and he just doesn't answer. He just looks at him and he's like, oh, it's just Lenore again. Mm -hmm. And at this point, does Augie know that she's dead? Uh,
1: Right at the end when, because I think he's telling Augie that she died and then, but then he's like confused because I thought you said, you know, Lenore has been texting you all night.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's when he says, oh, it's just damn AI like program Like an AI program
1: modelled on Lenore.
0: Yeah, that's been glitching out, and it's just sent him variations of the word Nevermore mm. the entire night, which obviously is that famous quote. And Roddick reveals that he killed Madeline because she was so against the patriarchy, uh, and I think at that New Year's Eve party way back when in the flashbacks, she's dressed up as Cleopatra, right? Yep. He, after believing he's killed her, uh, replaces her eyes with sapphires, which is gnarly,
1: which was something that you find out previously that was like an old relic that had been done to like this queen or empress or something.
0: Yeah, something to like commemorate a goddess, yeah, and a death goddess, kind of it. thing. Uh, and then they hear these sounds in the basement coming towards the room where they're having this conversation. There's this raging storm outside, and turns out Madeline bursts through the door, big old blue rocks in her eyes, (laughs) (laughs) comes over to Roderick. Augie freaks the fuck out as he would and strangles him, and it's during this struggle that the house starts coming down, right? So Augie gets the hell out of there, and watches the house crumble. And what's so beautiful about this is it's their childhood home. Mm -hmm. The House of Usher literally falls. That's where they got the title. uh, (laughs) And uh, that is actually how that story ends as well is with um, Madeline coming back and uh, strangling him and all that kind of thing. So they die together uh, now that all the children have died. And then they have this nice kind of uh, flash forward where they show like... Roderick's current wife, Juno, uh, is fully weaned off Ligodone. Uh She's inherited Fortunato now that Freddie's dead uh, and essentially converts into like a drug rehab foundation. Uh, Pim gets arrested after refusing Werner's offer, mm-hmm. uh, serves his time in jail. And Without ever saying a word as well. Yes, yes, good point. Uh, again, man of principle. Yeah. He's not a squealer. And Augie retires. And what I like about that is... He kind of gets his confession, which was like his career goal, but it's meaningless. Yep. It's like the whole thing came full circle for no point but personal closure.
1: And, well, he's got that
0: personal closure. Yeah. Now he can retire and do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. (laughs) Write a book.
1: A a big part of the dynamic between Roderick and and Augie is kind of they both are similar men in that, they're both working men and so they never have time for their like loved ones mm. and I think Roderick makes a couple of stabs of like how many nights were you you know out working to get me instead of at home with your family Yeah. and then once all this is done then it's finally he can just go home to his family yeah. focus on that Yeah. I also want to say I like how back to when Madeline and Roderick die it's pretty much like fully coming full circle in the way that like Madeline dies in the same way their mother died by well, by coming back and then killing someone, then dying. Mm. And Roderick died the same way his father died by getting strangled by the person who came back.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I don't know if we mentioned it, but and I can't remember if it's the first episode this is revealed, but their mother was a secretary to the former former CEO of Fortunato, right? Who is yep. revealed to be their father. Yeah. And that's why the kids went to him. For help when she was dying and he denied Refused. it, saying she was yep. a whore and all this kind of thing. Whore and a liar. Yeah.
1: And then when she dies, she comes back and strangles him.
0: Mm, mm. Interesting. Uh, Talking a little bit about the technique, because you got to address it. After all, it's a Mike Flanagan piece. <laughs> yeah. There's some beautiful cinematography in here. Uh, some awesome direction and I love how everything ties in, but I appreciated a lot of the symmetry Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of unsettling long shots, you know, fly-on-the-wall kind of shots. All the deaths you were kind of just forced to watch, which was really cool. Uh, And something I noticed uh, was a lot of the characters kind of had their own color schemes. Signature colors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was was pretty clear, um, but I don't even care that it's obvious because it was just nice.
1: Yeah, because isn't that also a theme in what is it the mask i don't know if it's in the mask of the red whatever the fuck red death red death or in the the rue montague one i think it might be the mask of red death not that i've read them Mm. but apparently in that there's like seven or six or seven different rooms that are each colored a different thing
0: ah okay i just i just remember there being a lot of red in that one obviously because of the title but also like perry was often dressed in red
1: no i mean like the book oh okay in, in the original book there, gotcha. was, there was, like, six or seven different rooms, each with a different colour theme.
0: Yeah, okay. That's cool. And then, yeah, in
1: this, each of the characters have a different colour associated with them.
0: Yeah, like, uh, just thinking off the top of my head, I guess, you've got, like, Leo had... Yellow? Was, yeah, yellow car, yellow shirt, yellow tie. Tammy was green, green. right? Green yep. dress, green sheets. A lot green of, sheets. of green lighting in her apartment. Yeah. For
1: her, for her whole death scene.
0: Yeah. Vic was
1: orange in a lot of her clothes and yeah. uh,
0: office. Yeah, even orange lighting when you see the, the dead partner yeah. with a chest open. Yep.
1: Perry, as you mentioned, is a lot of red. Mm, mm.
0: Including all the gooey red bodies. <laughs> all the remains on the factory floor. Yep. Yeah, so that was really cool. And uh I kinda mentioned it before, but that title card comes at the end of each episode after an extensive black silence. And it's almost like a jump scare. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's loud. It's it's like always the Bam! At the end yeah. of the episode.
0: like the solid drum sound. It was very cool. And uh, a good blend of CGI and practical effects, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think it only really used it where it needed to. It didn't, mm. and it never overdid it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, like I said before, I have a gripe with the Pit and the Pendulum one, but I think that was purely for its scale. You kind of sure. had to. Sure, yeah. Uh, there was actually one that I thought was really cool. Uh, I think it might be in the Raven, actually, when Verna confronts Roderick when he's in like the skyscraper building, looking out the window, mm-hmm. and there's a storm outside, but it's like raining bodies. Yeah, and she's talking about like these the all the people all, all the people you're who responsible would, who have, for who have
1: died in the like his conquest to get Fortunato where it is. Yeah, that, that is cool. that is beautiful. That, that might cool. oh, I don't know if I want to call it because I forgot to think about it, but that might be one of my favorite shots that I'd hang on the wall. It's just mm. raining bodies.
0: Yeah, you just have it as a GIF. A frame <laughs> <kit>. Just <laughs> a screen on the have,
1: wall. Have it as a window,
0: and then have <laughs> it outside window with is raining bodies. A screensaver on the dead house <laughs> computer. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, man. Fall of the House of Usher. What an undertaking, but such a cool miniseries. I love that they paid homage to a lot of his other works as well. I like how it all tied in. Something that I think is really important culturally about this in 2023, and even us talking about it now, And getting people across that may not be familiar is it's uh, bringing newer generations to Edgar Allan Poe's work. Yeah. And it shows that it can still be as effective and impactful today. Like I know you said a lot of at least Mike Flanagan fans online were not a fan or at least said it's not his best work. Uh, But we love this. Absolutely. I I think
1: it's my favorite of the things that I've seen. Like I've very much liked Midnight Mass, but this Mm. just goes... Another level on top of it?
0: I think it's my favorite, if you want to call it horror, show. But speaking of <laughs> uh, favorite horror shows, uh, in the Deadheads Facebook group, we asked what were some of our fans' favorites. And uh, the first person to comment was my mother, mm-hmm. who said this. <laughs> Bit suspicious. I think maybe
1: perhaps you'd been watching it very recently in the house, and so that might have been on her mind.
0: We watched it collectively, so I'm not surprised. Mm. Um, If not this, uh, it's probably The Simpsons' Treehouse of Horror. (laughs) I know The Simpsons as a show is not horror, but those specific episodes were great, and uh, Carrie agreed with me on that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, We had Pace, say the OG creep show. I honestly have never even heard of that. I'd seen bits of pieces, and I know recently, I think on Shudder, they either remade it or they've, like, continued it and done Mm -hmm. successive seasons. Uh, Yeah, he said the OG one was sick. And Jaden said, it might not fall under horror, but there's a South Korean series called Kingdom uh, that's basically a zombie apocalypse set in feudal era Korea or Japan uh, around, like, samurais and things. Uh, He said it's an odd combo for the setting, but works really well and is an awesome series. I think that's cool.
1: First of all, that definitely sounds like horror. Yeah, And second of all, that sounds awesome Zombie apocalypse in feudal fucking samurai times Mm. Great, I love it
0: And lastly, Dave said Not as good as Treehouse Horror But The Scary Door (laughs) I've not even heard of this, what is that?
1: Can Uh, you enlighten me? If I'm not mistaken That is a joke on his part (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or like Grizzly Tales No, in Futurama There's a recurring segment bit like like Hypnotoad where it's the scary door and it's kind of their spoof on the Twilight Zone. Oh,
0: uh, that makes it. It did have the same font, the picture yeah, you posted. I think
1: oh, the only one I can remember is where there's there's an old guy there's an old guy and uh, he's like, God, the, it's the end of civilization. Yeah, uh, nothing to do now, but I can finally read all these books <laughs> and then his fucking glasses break. And he's like, Oh, that's fine, my ass that's not that bad. Fucking eyes fall out. And he's like, well, at least I can learn, I can read Braille. And his arms fall off. <laughs> oh, that's um, like an
0: ASDF video or something. Yeah, but anyway, that's, I, that's funny. I like that. That's cool. Respect. Uh, I'm honestly surprised no one said something as simple as like The Walking Dead or Stranger Things. Yeah. One of the big ones. I mean, because they're not, you know, they're popular. They're mainstream. We don't like them. Yeah, that's fair. We like our niche stuff. Yeah.
1: If you can call it horror, and I don't think you can, it's more you know, detective procedural mm. and it really really only counts for four seasons but I'm a huge fan of Dexter. Counts
0: for four seasons you say? Yeah. Okay.
1: Because the other seasons are <laughs> less than savoury.
0: Okay. Uh, I've seen Dexter season one and that's very good. I'd
1: probably give it one more season and then you could stop. Yeah, okay. Unless you want to skip to four, which is arguably the best.
0: Yeah, you referenced Dexter a fair bit in conversation, so I can. It see It was being a up very
1: there. Uh, formative part of my teenage years, mm. which is not good because it's about a serial killer.
0: Fascination in a serial uh, killer history, I it guess.
1: May or may not be where I just detached all my emotions. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs>
0: Hell yeah! Yes, the uh,
1: apologies to our listeners because this is. Probably our longest episode. Yeah. Uh, and man, I feel bad because I don't know what this will edit down to. Mm. But we've been recording for about an hour, twenty minutes, <laughs> Jesus. and we didn't even cover a lot of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Yeah, there's shit. so much more to talk about with this with this uh, with this show. Mm. And it's I think it's interesting too to have a whole show where almost none of the characters are like good or likable. They're all despicable characters, mm. but you they're ones that you love to hate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, my favourite character was probably Leo, just for like how enjoyable he was to watch. But as he, a person, he, terrible person. He
1: also definitely seems like the most down-to-earth
0: of mm. the bunch. And at the end of the day, they all kind of just want to make their parents proud.
1: But I don't know if it's they want to make them proud, more as they... They want to live up to the expectations.
0: Yeah, I think that's what it is. To an unhealthy degree. They definitely have a lot of pride in being an usher. Yeah, like and they are the so much so that I think it's probably because it's forced upon them. But I guess no matter how much money you have, whether you're Cleopatra or you're a fucking 16-year-old kid wanting to <laughs> create a, an orgy night club out of a, an old factory. Pretty sure he's 18, but that's right. We all die.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing we all do. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for listening to that long episode. If you managed to stick through it all, and if you like to listen to more of our ramblings, you know, check out any of our other episodes or any future episodes at 5 p.m. on Fridays on any streaming service. If you have anything to contribute to the discussion that we couldn't actually get to, feel free to send an email to deadhousepod at com or mm-hmm. post in the Deadheads group. I'm always interested to hear people's thoughts on this and other things.
0: Yes, anyone can join.
1: Yes, so.